2: tonight on fast a hawk attack Stocks selling off on the back of today's fed minutes so is the party over for the bulls we're breaking down the fed fallout plus we are taking a trip to the land before time dinosaur tech roaring back to life but the chart master says fade this rally in one name at least before your gains go extinct and later we're breaking down what worked today the three standout stocks in today's sell-off Welcome to Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Steve Grosso, Brian Kelly, and Jeff Mills. We start off with a Fed punch in the gut. Stocks tanking today with the tech trade really taking on the chin. Take a look at the Nasdaq 100. Only a handful of names posting gains in today's broad-based sell-off. Check out what happened in the Treasury market. Bonds getting battered, yield rocketing higher. The 10-year soaring above 1.7. All this as we learned exactly what went down behind closed doors at December's Fed meeting. Let's get right to Steve Leisman with the fallout. Steve, you know what's interesting is we had that Fed meeting. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. They had the press conference. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And here we have the minutes. And and things really seem to to change in terms of the market perception.
1: Well, we did learn new details, Melissa. And those details are at the December meeting suggesting that The Federal Reserve is going to be more aggressive now uh, in reducing its $9 trillion balance sheet than we previously thought. It highlights really the growing concern with inflation. And, of course, as you know, it really pressured equities and bonds today. So the Minutes didn't put a timetable on when the Fed might begin the runoff. It's, by the way, not actually scheduled to stop buying assets until next month. might be some of the confusion out there, but some think... The runoff could happen or begin happening as soon as this summer. Kathy Bastianczyk from Oxford, she wrote today, the hawkish tone of the minutes underscores the likelihood of three rate hikes this year, but also signals a reduction in the size of the balance sheet that could start by mid-2022. The minutes also suggested the possibility of faster rate hikes. Markets are now dialing in a better than 70% chance, actually make it 73% chance, of the first hike coming in March. And high probabilities of a second hike in June, a third in November. And a not insignificant 40% probability now of a fourth hike in December. Some officials even said in the minutes they prefer to rely more on balance sheet reduction than rate hikes to remove accommodation. This would avoid flattening the curve on the, out, on the longer term. It also suggests, by the way, a faster pace of tightening. It's well to underscore, folks, the absurdity of the moment. The Fed is talking about aggressively reducing its balance sheet while it is still adding assets to that balance sheet. It's just a Fed that may be behind its own curve, Melissa.
2: Hmm. Steve, thank you. Steve Leisman. Brian Kelly, what did you make of today's action? And we, we know what the Fed said behind closed doors yeah. at this point. It's funny when you take a look back at how the market interpreted Powell's press conference on the day of the Fed meeting in December. Everything was dovish. Tech stocks were rallying. It was like a relief
3: rally there. Yeah. So there's some things that the Fed has done really well and some things the Fed has done really poorly. What Chair Powell has done really well has been able to uh, assuage the market and play the market and uh, convince the market that they are not going to be crushing the economy. What they've done poorly and horribly is actually call the economy. Remember, when we had housing prices going through the roof, we had jobs all of a sudden taking off. The economy was soaring. It was reopening. And the Federal Reserve decided to keep on the gas pedal. Now, when things are starting to slow down, supply chain issues are hurting profits. You're seeing ISM numbers start to roll over globally. Now, they want to raise rates at the worst time uh, that you could actually do it. It's probably the wrong time. They're wrong about transitory. They'll probably be wrong about that. So great, BK went on a rant about the Fed. What does that mean to trade, right? So right now, the market is going to price in. How aggressive the Fed's going to be? And are they going to induce a recession? Because that's really the only tool they have. And so what you saw today was repositioning. It wasn't very disorderly at all. It seemed to be pretty natural. And a repositioning trade here. So you are now short bonds. You don't want to be long U.S. US bonds anymore. That's going to hurt uh... high multiple stocks and so you want to stay away from those and you probably want to go into the more boring things you want to look at the defenses and those type of things until this settles out
2: yeah guy what did you make of it and and the change in the fed in what we learned today and how it was interpreted does it also have to do with the backdrop of today where we are today with omicron versus where we were in december today we have a lot more data in terms of how extensive it is. China actually has shutdowns there in its in its factory cities. Um, We have a little bit more color on how it's impacting the economies.
4: Yeah, but the Fed, I think, is saying in terms of Omicron, you know, damn the torpedoes Mm -hmm. full speed ahead. And they're probably right to do that, by the way. Again, we look at things through the lens of the markets and we're not making light of anything going on in the health front, obviously. But in terms of that, I think the markets have learned to look past uh, the variance, and and quite frankly, they should. With that said, the Fed is saying, you know what, maybe we did get this wrong. Neil Kashkari, by the way, who's probably one of the more dovish uh, members out there, actually talked about it yesterday, saying, you know, this inflation is a bit of a problem, much more of a problem than we thought, and he sees two rate hikes this year. So you have some of the most dovish people turning hawkish. Now, I think that's the right course of action, and if the market's going to go down on the back of it, that's just collateral damage, and that's exactly... What James Gorman said a couple weeks ago when he did that interview with Wilf, if you go back and listen to it. So, Mm -hmm. look, it might not be pleasant for the market, but I think in terms of what they need to do, it's absolutely the right thing to do.
2: Was this just fuel to the fire of the rotation we've already seen happening in front of us, Steve?
5: Yeah, and I think it's kind of ironic that Sarah tossed to, to, uh, to the show saying that COVID stimulus is being talked about. How ironic is that? We're going to have, do you think that we could be in an environment, rhetorical question, do you think we could be in an environment where we are talking about and discussing and implementing COVID stimulus and raising rates? My guess is no. So now the market is going to digest all of this. Do you raise rates or do you reduce the balance sheet and which one is worse? Steve Leisman said that reducing the balance sheet might not be as bad. So for me, I think, yes, we're all in agreement um, or or, or, uh, basically leaning this way. Value should outperform. I thought it could start to outperform literally at the change of the calendar. We got that, where does it go from here? The whole market is gonna move lower. Saw that today, value went lower, growth went lower because value is not a big enough percentage of the index. Mm What happens in the next six months? I don't know. What does COVID do? What is Powell thinking going into midterms? And I know it's not a political age, uh, organization, Melissa, but he does not want to be responsible for a 15% in, a drop in the market. I think we're talking about something completely different a week from now, and I think the markets digest this very
2: quickly. Well, a 15% drop in the market may mean that he doesn't raise rates as soon as we think. So <laughs> there's sort of this, this weird sort of you know cycle going on here, Jeff. And I think the question here in terms of the overall markets, though, is, You know, we've seen that clear rotation out of the growthy high valuation names. That is undeniable. The Pelotons, the Snowflakes, etc. But should it extend to the likes of an Alphabet? Should it extend to the likes of a Microsoft, which we did see today? It was indiscriminate in terms of technology.
6: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And thinking about the Googles and Apples of the world, even Amazons, I mean, it's a little baby out with the bathwater today. And I know we've talked about this over and over again, but you do have to differentiate between these really high multiple unprofitable companies and then those names that we're all very familiar with. So I do think that this creates an opportunity for some of those names. And I've talked about this before, too, but especially as we push into the middle part of this year, I think investors are going to continue to look for this profit growth as the economy starts to slow down Uh, and to go back to what bk said a little bit you know i think the fed rhetoric today the hawkishness continues to become more and more out of step with reality as we move through the year i agree with guy as well that they should be hiking but maybe they should have already hiked i think the the missing the window narrative is, is really appropriate here and we saw some signs in the pmi data yesterday supplier delivery times came down prices paid came down inventories are starting to build these should all be headwinds to inflation and then the economy starts to roll over a little bit pmis have come off the boil so i think that makes it very difficult for the fed to actually move forward in a way that's consistent with three or four rate hikes this year so i think we're in a situation now where you want to be in value you want to be in cyclicals we talked about this at the end of the year financials, energy, oversold, and they're the two best sectors so far this year. So I would hunker down there for the time being as the market digests this. But again, as you move into that second half of the year when the economy starts to slow, perhaps we have some really good opportunities in these more fundamentally sound tech names.
2: Yeah, Guy, I know you're, you're locked into your Twitter machine today, so you probably saw this tweet from the chairwoman, um, and this is what she tweeted, and this sort of sums up, I think, the market mood. First they came for Peloton, I didn't care. Then they came for Snowflake, and I didn't care. Now they've come for Google or Alphabet. I'm sad. And not only is she sad for her own portfolio, obviously, but also for the broader markets. I mean, if you take Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, Alphabet, and Tesla, those stocks alone made up about a third of the gains of the S&P 500 last year. So if there is indiscriminate selling of technology, particularly in these top names, it is an overall market squeeze that everyone will feel absolutely Steve
4: talks about this all the time, by the way, and that was extraordinarily Shakespearean of K-Fine in 09. It was actually poetry. I loved every minute of it. But yeah, I mean I think that's a real problem. We've talked about it. Dan Nathan brings this up all the time. The market has been, regardless of what you want to say, I mean, effectively, the market's been bolstered by six or seven names. And if it gives up the ghost there, if you do see this indiscriminate selling that Steve talks about all the time on these bad days, it's going to be a problem. I have no idea why Google
7: was trading as poor. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy.
4: if those big names start to give it up, then it's just a foregone conclusion that the markets will go lower and quickly. And I hate to do this, but you said something and it's so spot on. It's it's emblematic of everything over the last couple of years. You said to Steve that if the market were to go down 15%, then it would probably slow down the rate of the hikes in the Fed. And my pushback would be you're probably 100% right, but that's the travesty. They should have no concern whatsoever, in my opinion what well, the market's doing. The market should not dictate their actions.
2: If that were the case, we wouldn't be in the situation we are in right now. I mean, that, that's the whole underlying issue with the Fed at this point. I think that most people on this panel would agree. Brian Kelly, though, what, what this tells me in terms of how, how big cap technology has hijacked the, the motion, the action of the market is that it's going to be very difficult if you're just an index investor to be that index investor at least for the time
3: being? Yeah, at at least for the time being. So, you know, I mean, for the folks at home, what really doesn't make sense is you have a Federal Reserve saying, hey, wait a second, the economy is so strong, we better slow it down. But then all of a sudden, stocks tank. I mean, do you think people are going to advertise less on Google? Are people going to be driving less? Are people going to be doing things less? Most likely not over the last six months. But the market got ahead of itself. The market priced in much higher growth. And so that's what we're talking about here. And that's what the market and stocks have to digest before it's safe to come in. So to your point, if you get these broad-based sell-offs where everybody is repositioning, then it's unlikely that your favorite value stock is going to do well. It'll likely go down with the market. At some point, I believe that investors will start to look through what the Fed is doing, and they'll look at one of two things. They'll either look at the growth and value trade together, and or they'll look through Fed rate hikes, and maybe even to Fed rate cuts or more accommodation, or perhaps this absurd COVID stimulus that people are talking about. But that's not today. For today, you've got some indigestion. At some point, that'll end.
2: Yeah. um, Part of the indigestion, seeing the 10-year yield go above 1.7 percent. And Jeff Mills, I'm wondering, I mean, if we we start heading up towards the levels, and we did that today, that we saw in March of last year, what happens to this extreme rotation that we've been seeing into value and out of growth, out of technology, etc.?
6: well like you said i think we're there and if we continue to push higher then it probably perpetuates that rotation what i do think is particularly interesting going back to the the discrimination between you know what's going on with big cap tech in the s p 500 and then some of the more speculative areas of the market it is really interesting that if you look at the charts of arc the ipo etf solar the meme stocks bitcoin they all look almost identical. And I think that that's a perfect representation of rates moving higher and that hitting speculation. So that pocket of the market will continue to get hit, but I do think it creates opportunities in the other parts of the market. And Carter actually published a note, I think it was yesterday, just trying to trying to figure out where the 10-year might go in the near term. And it has worked itself into this wedge pattern. It's now bumping up against the top of it. He thinks it's going to go lower. We'll see what happens here. But that is going to be a big determinant of the leadership in this market. The one thing I'll say, though, and this is longer term, I do think the 10-year going from where it is today to, say, 225 or 250 is highly unlikely because the market is still pricing in this really low terminal Fed funds rate. So I think for the market to sustain kind of a higher 10 year over the next, say, six to 12 months is actually going to be really difficult.
2: Yeah. Although, Guy, yes, just yesterday you were saying 2% was in the cards.
4: I think so. Look, I'm not, that's just my opinion. I, I understand exactly what Jeff is saying, and Dan Nathan speaks to this as well. Steve has brought this up as well, but I think that genie's out of the bottle, and we're looking at the 10 year. But look at the two-year yields. I mean, they've quadrupled, and I can do that math, since September. I mean, you've gone from basically 20 <laughs> basis points to north of 80 basis points. There's something, there's something really wrong about that if you think about it. So these should be some of the most liquid markets on the planet, and they're trading like biotech stocks. You explained that one to me. So, again, the bond market's a little out of control. The volatility there is um, historic, in my opinion. And I think, and I've said this a while, incorrectly, but it's just a matter of time before that volatility finds its way into the equity world.
2: All right. So this is what the third trading session of 2022. We've seen extreme volatility. We've seen 10 year yields um, test levels that we haven't seen since early last year. Where do we end the year? And I'm just I'm asking this question simply for perspective, because for people out there, when you see a three plus percent decline on the Nasdaq, you're thinking, oh, what a terrible way to start the year. But longer term, show of hands, if I may ask, do we end the year higher in technology, on the NASDAQ 100, do we end the year higher? NASDAQ 100 specifically. Oh, 50-50, that is interesting. So Guy and Jeff say yes, Steve and BK say no. Steve Grasso, why not?
5: Uh, well, this, this is sort of a, the barometer here. I think you're, you have to say what kind of tech. NASDAQ
2: 100 right? so tech. I
5: think, I think Well, so I I think the top names—you don't need the 100. Just the top names could be higher. I think the bottom names are going to be lower, and I think the ten-year. I think you're going to ask us where we thought the ten-year was going to be year-end. I own a basket of value stocks. I want the ten-year above two. I think the ten-year is going to end the year at 1.5, 1.6. The market is just digesting that balance sheet issue right now, and and if. If, if we would have scripted everything that would have happened, you would have said the ten-year was above two percent. I think inflation is still transitory.
2: Guy, why do you think the Nasdaq 100 will ultimately be higher year-end?
4: Well, if you listen, if you listen to Mike Wilson, Tom Lee, I mean, they've, mm-hmm. what they've talked about over the last month or so is playing out. They both said you're going to see some volatility early in the year, and the back half in terms of the market is going to be fine. And I agree with them. I've agreed every day. them in terms of that stuff for a while and i think it's going to be a dicey first couple of months and in the back end of this year the market will figure it out as it always does which is why i think we end the year higher but getting there is going to be really difficult and it's going to be difficult over the next couple of months
2: brian kelly so if the nasdaq 100 doesn't finish the year higher can the s p finish the year higher will there actually be a handoff in leadership is is the question here
3: yeah i don't think so and, I, and i'm not very convicted that the mar- that the market doesn't end higher either for me it's really about probabilities right i've i've always found predictions hard especially when they're about the future so i have to think <laughs> in probabilities so here's how i'm kind of thinking of it is that if the fed is actually going to raise four times this year then there's no way that the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, pick your favorite index, no way that thing ends higher. Most likely the economy will be in a very deep recession. If however, the Mm. Fed backs up and says, hey, we're gonna take our foot off the brake and maybe even on the pedal and somehow stimulus comes in and somehow the midterm elections impact policy, well then heck yeah, everything can go higher. But for today, I think you have to say it's gonna be some tough sledding here and I have to just wait and see.
2: Let's just say that the, that the Fed raises rates three times. Let's take out the 40% chance of that last rate hike of the year. Take that out. Say three, three times. Jeff Mills, give me, give me a stock that you would feel comfortable being in through the course of that.
6: I mean, if they do raise three times, which I don't think is going to happen, then I think you still need to lean toward value. And I think you have better valuations in financials, in energy. I talk about a company like EOG all the time. I think that's really well positioned for an environment where if the Fed is raising rates, that means inflation is stickier than people think. Uh, and I think the valuations there uh, would, would would prove useful uh, given that backdrop. But I, I don't think we get there. And that's part of the reason I think technology stocks are higher today, or excuse me, higher at the end of the year than they are today because i think you have inflation that comes in lighter than expected therefore i don't think the fed hikes as many times as everyone currently thinks and if we get this economic deceleration that i'm talking about in the second half of the year people will migrate toward these more profitable fundamentally sound technology companies
2: all right coming up we're taking you on a trip to the land before time dinosaur tech roaring back to life a handful of old school tech names outperforming the market today and over the past month or so. Is this the trade you want to be in? We've got the details next. Plus, we are trading the crypto collapse, Bitcoin, Ether, Ripple, all falling in today's sell-off. We are breaking down the fallout when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Big tech leading today's sell-off. The Nasdaq dropping 3.3% for its worst day since February. But not all tech was under pressure. It's time to fire up the Fast Money time machine for a trip to the land before time. Take a look at some of the dinosaur tech names roaring back to life. Old school companies like Intel, IBM, and HPE all holding up in today's sell-off. And they've been strong over the past month, posting gains that far outpace the Nasdaq. So as tech tanks, are these the names you want to be in? BRIAN KELLY.
3: I do think so, actually. You know, I think there's, there's a couple things to, to look at here. So, number one, you've got better valuation in these Dino Techs, Dinosaur Techs, than you do in the high-flying Techs. Number two, a lot of these names pay a pretty decent dividend well over the 10-year yield. So, between those two things, they look pretty attractive here. That doesn't mean that they're not going to fluctuate with the ins and out of the broader market. But you look at stuff like Cisco breaking out. Intel looks really interesting. IBM has had a pretty good run. You might want to wait on that one. But I think all of those are a decent place to hide. At the very least, you pick up a dividend while you're waiting for things to digest.
2: IBM's dividend yield, guy, is four and three quarters percent. Not bad. And
4: seemingly, seemingly getting lower each day, obviously, as the stock goes up. Div- I mean, I can do that math as well. But, you know, it's interesting on December <laughs> 20th, which was a Monday. Miserable day in the market, and we talked about IBM. We said, that's really odd. Look at how well IBM performed that day, and look at it ever since. So what does it mean exactly what Brian just said? People are flocking towards names that they can wrap their head around in terms of valuation, and they're going to hide there. Now, I don't think necessarily IBM has figured out their business woes, but the stock is attractive, and and that's what's happening right now. I will tell you, I think out of all the names you mentioned, given a game of would you rather rather, Uh, Cisco is interesting, Mm -hmm. and I'll throw off-the-board Qualcomm, too, which was having a really strong day, gave it up late with the rest of the
6: market.
2: Where is value in tech, in your view, Jeff?
6: Uh, I think value in tech is in these names. I mean, I think there will be value once you see additional sell-off in kind of the traditional FANG stocks, but this this segment sounded very familiar to me so i went back to my notes and we actually did a little trade it or fade it on old school tech back in may of 2021 we talked about ibm cisco oracle Mm -hmm. dell i was actually a trade it across the board because i was worried about this very moment this sort of valuation reckoning and since that point in time all those stocks except for ibm actually outperform the tech sector that might actually surprise some people so i think you actually do want to stay in this area of technology at least for a little while because the market is clearly becoming much more valuation conscious. I'll pull another one from off the board too. To stock we talked about a couple of weeks ago because of the acquisition that they're currently undertaking. But Oracle is a really interesting company. It's profitable, defensive growth, less cyclical than a lot of these names. They have a huge percent of their sales are recurring revenue. And I do think that Cerner acquisition puts them in a really good position going forward. And the stock's gotten beaten up a little bit. Uh, it's back to its rising 200 days. So I think this is a good entry point there. But overall, you know, I think this dinosaur tech theme, there might be something to it.
2: I mean, Cisco, it's had a better year than the overall NASDAQ. It was up 37% over the past 12 months, Steve Grosso. So it's it's not like it's been under the radar for, for that long here. Um, where would you go for value, though, at this point?
5: Yeah, so IBM was my secular short uh, call a couple years back. It might have been guys, too. I'm not sure. It was trading over $200. So I'll echo his, his uh, comments that... I don't think they've fundamentally figured out what IBM is, but I do think the stock can run here based on that dividend yield. And to Jeff Mills point, I look back on my notes in 2019 and I said, buy with both hands, Tesla at $59. Do you
2: really have notes? I don't believe that. No. (laughs) right. I'm just asking. No, I, I, no, I, I, I totally don't believe it. I have notes. I keep I a notebook. I keep a notebook every do. single day has a page. Um, anyway, a uh, chart master <laughs> says it's time to take some chips off the table from one of these dinosaur tech giants. Carter Worth of Worth Charting, who certainly takes notes. He's with us to break it all down. Carter.
9: Well, you know, the way to do it, of course, you just take notes on your good ones. The bad ones, you don't <laughs> keep those notes in any of it. Um, look, uh, I'm all for Oracle, Cisco. IBM, I think, is a different circumstance. Those are stocks that have been acting well uh, for the better part of two years that have given back some. IBM has been really a dog, and this sharp rally leaves it at a difficult level. Let's um, let's look at a chart or two. So the first one is IBM over the past uh, decade or thereabouts, and no judgments, lines drawn. Now, look at the exact same chart with some lines drawn, with a judgment rendered. We have gone precisely to a downtrend line that's been in effect since the peak that you all were talking about um, in 2011, right? The stock was 206, it hit a low, on COVID low of 86, and now it's rallied a lot up to 138. So next chart, this is the third of four. Um, This is even longer term. You have a, a fairly clear level here, which is to say, after a move like this to a level of overhead supply. Taking some chips off the table as a long-only player, I think, makes sense. We're writing calls or some other measures taken. Uh, short selling, I'd initiate here. And uh, if and as it moves above the downtrend line, then you've got to acknowledge error and uh, close the short. Final chart. And this is the, this is the, the, the structural circumstance that uh, also is in effect. A two-panel, that's IBM going back to 1967. And on the bottom is relative performance to the S&P. We are basically approaching uh, sort of the 70-year the relative low. That was done in 1994. Um, let's let it at least try to show us some relative performance uh, before embracing it structurally. Right now, tactically, it's moved to a difficult level, and I think it's a better sale than a buy. Hmm.
2: Carter, while we have you, um, what's your take on what's going on in the markets? Are there any stocks or sectors that have had damage done?
9: Well, a lot of damage done across the board. I guess what will be uh, the most interesting is how much damage uh, does tech have to endure before it becomes interesting? Um, and the real question is this: Does it really matter that the cost of ten-year money is one two or one eight, one six or one seven, one five or one nine? It does not. If you're really doing three to five-year DCF work and trying to invest in a growth enterprise that's a disruptor and a and a market share gainer. Cost 10-year money at 1.8 is absolutely irrelevant.
2: All right. Carter, thank you. Carter Braxton of Worth Charting. Carter speaks truth. He's very rational, as is Carter always, um, Brian Kelly. And yet the markets don't act that way. 1.8 would be a big deal to these markets. That would mean uh, the highest level on the 10-year old since, I don't know, at least, you know, back a year or so. So what do you say to, yeah. to Carter?
3: Well, so Carter's very rational, I think Carter made a really good point saying if you're doing three to five-year discounted cash flows or any type of valuation metric that you're looking out three to five years, it is irrelevant whether it's 1.6 or 1.8. But here's the reality of what goes on in hedge funds and, and mutual funds and whatnot, is that if you underperform for three months, you're out of a job. So it's more of a career risk thing than the actual fundamentals behind it. And that's what we're going through right now. So, you know, for me, if you're, if you're looking five years down the road, you know, close your eyes and don't worry about it. But... In the meantime, if we go one eight or 2, that will surely slow the economy and that'll hurt earnings and that'll create stocks going lower. So, you know, I, I just think it's a matter of time frame uh, when you're talking about it. We're traders on this show. This is Fast Money. Shorter time frames matter
2: coming up Bitcoin, Ether and a lot of other coins getting hit hard in today's sell off. So what is next for the crypto trade? We're breaking it down straight ahead plus what worked today. Three names that held off held up in today's sell off. We'll bring you the trades and fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. I want to call your attention to what is happening in Bitcoin. The selling is continuing uh, right now, down more than about 8 percent, below 43,000. Let's bring in Melton Demures, the chief strategy officer for CoinShares. Melton, great to have you with us. Good um, hey, to be it,
8: here. And happy 2022. Happy
2: 2022 to you as well. Nice to see you in the new year. Um, so about the sell-off, Meltem, should Bitcoin sell off when risk assets sell off? Is that the right approach? Because that's what the market is. That's what the market does.
8: And that's, that's honestly what we've seen, Melissa. I think that's what we've seen over the last three quarters now is, is this behavior. And I think, again, uh, you know, the, the jitteriness that we see across general markets is also felt in crypto. And we've seen some self-fulfilling narratives in, in the crypto space. There's this belief in Bitcoin cycles in particular, Bitcoin went through its halving 18 months ago. We are now, you know, at a really critical time in that cycle narrative. We had tax selling at end of year. We had firms and funds crystallizing profits or losses, potentially tax harvesting losses in some cases. And so I do think that self-fulfilling narrative is sort of continuing here with the sell-off that we saw today and into the first trading week of the first quarter of this new year.
2: So in order to understand Bitcoin and your views for 2022, Meltem, I want to go back to what you forecasted for Bitcoin last year, and that was 100,000. And you certainly weren't alone in that call for 100,000. You stood by that call all the way until as late as October, I believe, is the last time we spoke to you. So what happened or what didn't happen that surprised you?
8: Yeah, I think there were three main things that happened. First and foremost, one of the biggest catalysts for Bitcoin, particularly in U.S. markets, was the grayscale Bitcoin trust. Inflows into that trust were really robust in Q1 and Q2. We saw record amounts of Bitcoin being bought and put into that vehicle. And that vehicle is trading at a premium. It's now trading at about a 20% discount to NAV. There was a really popular arbitrage trade that a lot of funds were engaging in to crystallize an immediate 20% gain. That ARB has now disappeared and that ARB is really difficult to unwind. So I think that going away was definitely a negative catalyst. We also saw the launch of the ProShares ETF, which is um, backed by the cash settled CME Bitcoin futures contract. That, again, is a big disappointment. Um, In Europe, our products, the coinshares, ETP family, is actually physically backed with Bitcoin. Here in the U.S., it's been really difficult. And the SEC has point blank said no physically backed Bitcoin products will be in the market. So that inflow going away, I think, was a, a huge negative sort of signal, stopped some of the inflows. And we've just seen low open interest, low leverage across the board going into the back end of the year. And that's continued into this year as well.
3: Hey, Meltem, it's BK. So we we talk a lot about Bitcoin, right? But there's almost 10,000 other coins. Most of them might be junk, but there are others out there. Is now a time or are you seeing flows into other sectors or other coins outside of Bitcoin? Absolutely. So we've seen a lot of
8: flows into Solana, which is a a layer one protocol, another blockchain that has some different characteristics. Um, We've seen actually a lot of flows into Solana structured products as well as into Solana Spot. There are a few others. Avalanche has been popular recently, as well as Luna. And then there's continued interest, obviously, in Ethereum. I think across the board, we're starting to see, and, and BK, you know this, you and I have been through a couple of these cycles together now. Now, you know, we had a great year for Bitcoin and Ether. If we zoom out to last year, Bitcoin ended the year up almost 100%, Ether up almost 300%. So it was a great year for both of these assets. People are now taking their profits and rotating them into other assets that might see more material appreciation in 2022. And I think that's behavior we've seen time and time again when it comes to crypto assets.
2: Malcolm, it's always great to see you, hope to see you soon. Demures have a good one of coin shares. Um, Brian Kelly, I think that's interesting. And, and when we had Dan Moore had a Pantera Capital on Crypto Night in America a couple weeks back, which you were on, um, we, I talked to, to him about the notion of, of rotation or source of funds. And so I'm wondering if you believe that's the case, that that people could be cycling out of their profits and other in larger coins in into some of the smaller ones.
3: Yeah, we're seeing that. I think the word of the year for crypto this year is going to be dispersion. Mm. What we've seen in crypto's history is everything trades as one big block. That has not happened over the last, really three to six months, and it's not happening now. So I do think people could be saying, taking some money out of Bitcoin, maybe even taking some money out of Ethereum, and going into these other protocols that are more in the growth stage and, and have you know more potential for upside than Bitcoin, which has really become this macro asset, and it's really funny to say, but it's almost kind of matured here, Bitcoin, where there are other parts of this market that are just starting to grow.
2: Your top coin right now is what, BK? Oh, right now, Cosmos
3: Adams, without a doubt.
2: All right. Coming
3: up, rough Interoperability day. Interoperability is going to be the big thing.
2: Ah, okay. Coming up, rough day for the Reddit crowd, GameStop, AMC, and costs all down big. What is next for the trade? Details next, plus some green shoots on the street. Three winning trades in today's sell-off. We're breaking down the names and the trades next.
1: Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this.
2: Welcome back. A few names topping the tape in today's sell-off. Check out the action at Alcoa, Walmart, and General Mills. All three managing gains despite the broader market drops. Time for a trader's choice. Grasso, I'll go to you. Which one do you want to trade?
5: Um, so I think the theme of this is going to be long-term resistance, but I'm going to trade it with, uh, with General Mills. And the only reason why I'm trading it with General Mills is that I'm going for that, for that yield on the stock. If I look back at the other two, Alcoa, I think, I think uh, inflation is going to be transitory. It's butting up against that 2018 resistance. I don't think it has more in the tank past like 62 or so. We're trading at 58 if you look at Walmart, same thing, 53 is your lid on it. You want to play it to, to 153, then great, but I, I still think you have long-term resistance in
2: all three names. General Mills, what do you want to trade? The person, not the stock, General Mills.
6: Man, what, what, <laughs> what a fat pitch this is. I've been waiting for years to talk about this <laughs> stock, but uh, you know, sadly, I don't think I would trade General Mills for the long-term here. Here's what I'll, I'll say about it, though. I think it will work if we see continued weakness. Maybe an obvious statement, but I've been talking about this relationship between discretionary and Staples sort of being a bellwether for risk appetite in the market, and Staples has overtaken discretionary for the first time in a very long time, and that is really continuing this year. So I would pay attention to that, as a signal for whether the market is able to kind of hold its footing here or it continues lower i do think the break above 65 is significant so you know maybe kind of like me not super flashy but it gets the job done if the market continues to go lower but i do think maybe walmart is the best combination of defensiveness but still being exposed to economy that's growing a consumer that's healthy so i think probably walmart if we're looking out through the entirety of 2022
2: so self-deprecating Not super flashy like me. Um, Guy Adami, you brought up Alcoa.
4: Yeah, and I know what Steve is saying. Look, it's bouncing up against levels we last saw in December of 2018. And I understand it's been basically a rocket ship. But I think there's a lot more in the tank on valuation. The fact that they're just running their business a lot better than they have over the last five years. I think they report on the 19th. And quickly, to my flashy general friend, he's too... um, (laughs) He's too humble to mention that in early December when Roku was trading 250 and it was universally loved given a deal they just signed, he said fade that and I yeah. won't use the expletive. And now you see where it is now. So he might not be flashy, but he's very good.
2: He is. <laughs> all right, coming up, absolute wreckage in the Reddit names. GameStop AMC costs, all posting huge losses. We'll break down the moves. Next, plus one options trader just says. Relax and add the software stock to your portfolio. The big action in one beaten down name today, much more fast money in two. Do not miss an all new season of American Greed, exploring the dark side of the American dream. It kicks off tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on CNBC. Well, Reddit stocks seeing red today, GameStop, AMC, costs all tumbling in the sell off. So, is this a true test for the retail? Trader Guy Dami, these are levels we haven't seen since early last year.
4: It's a test without question. My cons- listen, my concern all along has been this notion that as long as you hold the-, the BK talks about these hodlers, everything will be OK. Again, I think these are some of the brightest people out there. They've really added a lot to the conversation in terms of trading. And I've said this as well. They understand more about convexity and gamma than most people get paid to do it. With that said, there's a faction that still believes as long as they hold on to the stock, they can't go lower. I think right now they're learning that it can. And I think there might be some more pain
2: ahead. The um, the, the old perception, and, and I don't know if it's old in that it's it, if it's still true or not, but there there is a perception in general on Wall Street that retail retail traders are weak hands. Um, are weak hands being shaken out? And what's the impact on the markets? If the retail investor, were, if that was the marginal dollar going into the markets all through 2021, and that dollar comes out. Isn't that, by logical extension, a pressure on the markets, Grasso?
5: Yeah, it is, and and, and I I will tell you that when I first started out almost 30 years ago on on the street, uh, that was the case where the top 10 holders in every stock really decided on the directionality of the individual stock and the stock market as a whole. That has switched and switched in, in large terms the retail investor decides when this market goes up and when the market goes down. And, and, and a lot to do with that are also algorithms, but they've never been empowered like they are now. They've never had the ability to buy and sell stocks as quickly uh, than, than right now in history. So when you look at a name, AMC on the board, and you see the stock and it's, it's extremely volatile. What I think the biggest takeaway, Melissa, with all of this, with the onset of the retail investor, is that short sellers were always at risk to the market. Now, there's a real, real uh, amount of money that's on the line every day because nothing fundamentally could have changed. And you can get one of these stocks, rip up $200 in your face and you get squashed. So I think the, the, the real change that a retail investor has made in the marketplace is they've told the short sellers, you're on notice right now. You can't, you can't stay short names like you used to. All
2: right, coming up, one option trader is betting big on a big comeback in the cloud name. Uh, should you buckle up and buy the trade after this quick break? Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking big blue chip stocks. What's on his winners and losers list? Catch the name's top of the hour on Mad Money. And don't forget, you can have Kramer delivered right to your inbox with the CNBC Investing Club. Sign up now with the information on your screen. We'll check out some of the softness in the software space today after the Fed hinting that it might start getting a little more aggressive sooner than we thought. Despite the potential warning sign, one option trader is making a $2.4 million bet that one software name could be due for a big breakout. Tony Zhang joins us with the action. Tony.
10: Uh, Yeah, Melissa, exactly. Zendesk is the stock that we're talking about. And one institutional customer seems to be picking a bottom here on this stock that's down about 40% from its 2021 peak here. And this trade, this stock traded very actively today, almost nine times the average daily volume on Zendesk today. And one single trade accounted for over 60% of today's total volume, where a single institutional investor purchased 9,044 contracts of the February-March 115-125 call diagonal for about $2.75. They purchased... Uh 9,044 9, contracts of the March 115 calls for about three dollars and seventy-five cents, and sold the February 125s for about a dollar. Net, net, here they're betting, as you said, about two point four million dollars that Zendesk will bounce above 115 by the March expiration date. So a fairly aggressive bullish bet here on Zendesk.
2: All right, Tony, thanks, Tony Zhang, for more Options Action. Tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5:30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade. Steve.
5: I'm going with value. I'm going with chemical plays. I'm going with TSE, Trinseo, Bigger market cap. You can go with Dow. Same theme.
2: BK, Brian Kelly.
5: Yo, back to the
2: future. Stick with the
3: dinosaurs.
2: Cisco. Mr. Flash, Jeff Mills.
6: Uh, I'm gonna hit you with Prime Morris here. It's a stock I pitched on the show a while back. It has not worked, but I still think it has some pretty good tailwinds from onshoring infrastructure spending. It held an important technical level. I think it's turning higher here.
2: Guy Dami, what do you say?
4: Mel, were you upset that Ben Roethlisberger probably played his last game at Heinz Field? Yes or no? Oh. No. No. Of course you weren't. <laughs> Bristol Myers sister BMY up on the day. Back to you.
2: Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now.
0: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Jenny!